My name is Abigail Kelly. I'm with Saba. Saba, hello. Hi, How are Abby. You today? Are you doing all right? I'm doing so, so great. I'm so happy yeah. to be here right now. Yeah. Uh, why are you on this podcast? Why did you decide to be on this podcast, Saba? Uh, well, so first time caller, uh, long time <laughs> listener. Uh, I am uh, a big fan of... Um, the fantasy genre. I spent a lot of my growing up years in the fantasy genre, and uh, it wasn't so long ago that I like reflected back on my reading history and the things that really drew me to books and the things that sort of helped me develop as the person that I am, and realized that like most of the books that I read growing up were romance novels, like in a fantasy novel shell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought back a little bit about my, uh, my history with romance novels and sort of my own sort of misgivings about what romance as a genre was and what I, as like, as a, as a man, like should be reading, should be listening to, um, really, uh, sort of, again, just like, messaging that like I got a lot as a kid that at the end of the day you know as it turns out I had been reading and enjoying and like craving this genre for for years and years and years and years and um still do to a certain degree uh though it, it's it's harder on uh, to find the time these days uh, but. Well, because you're a real adult person with a real adult job and a, and a, and a, and a family <laughs> and things and unlike everyone else I know <laughs> I mean, like real adult is a stretch, but yeah, I mean, I have. <laughs> you, I, you're you're better at pretending than the rest I'm of us. I'm much better at pretending. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a, in my in my spare time. I'm I'm an attorney at a, at a firm in the city, and and I'm also an adjunct professor uh, at the University of California Davis. And, just and boy things, just, you know. Just just the usual stuff, and uh, and we just my wife and I just had our first uh, child, our daughter, uh, Araya. So yeah. A gorgeous, gorgeous, fantastic girl with so much charisma and spice and spark. I love her. She's got panache. Oh, oh, fantastic. Her, her, she spits up like no other, for sure. She she has great aim. It's fantastic aim. <laughs> well, okay. So I think uh, I think you've kind of answered the, the traditional question of like, okay, like, how do you feel about romance novels? But I want to ask as like a supplement to that, have you, since you, you had that revelation, picked up an actual romance novel, like a, a top billing, like unabashed, this is a romance novel, romance novel? You know, um, <laughs> I have picked up, I've picked up fantasy novels that are romance novels, but they're like, you know how many bookshops, you know, you put fantasy and romance next to each other, yeah. And uh, and so at a certain point, you don't really know where the romance ends and the fantasy begins. I'm sure I have uh -huh. uh, picked up uh, romance novels, um, uh, but, I, you know, it, it, fail, it fails me. What I will say is that um, I spent a lot of time like seeking out those things like like fan written fiction or, yeah. you know, like like uh, contributor fiction 
And so that's, yeah. that's been, uh, sort of my main, uh, my main sort of source of romance, accessing romance. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think also, to a certain extent, what has been presented in bookstores as far as like romance novel selections, up until very recently has been pretty broadly like contemporary romance and, and historical romance, as opposed to actually having fantasy romance and sci-fi romance and stuff in a shop that was exclusively, explicitly a romance novel has been kind of rare. Um so I, I I can kind of see how if you're looking for fantasy, you'd look at the romance shelf and be like, okay, there's nothing there for me. Let's go to the one shelf over. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't necessarily surprise me. Have you read uh, Sarah J. Mass? No, no. Tell me, tell me about her. Maybe I will okay. after, after this. I'm I'm planning to do a whole episode about Sarah J. Mass's like really big series, but she does very high fantasy with like with a romance novel tucked inside of it. Um, I, you would, you wouldn't, you would probably enjoy it. I, it's maybe a little bit too high fantasy for me personally. Um, just because like, once you get to a certain point, you cross that threshold of like, we got to talk about the world a lot, like, yeah. like so much. <laughs> and I'm over here like, but where's my interpersonal drama? I need it on every page. <laughs> I uh, so I am a big fan of an author um, who hasn't really done anything in, in many years now. Um, Melanie Ron. Did you ever read anything by Melanie Ron? No. So she did. She did this series that's exactly what you're describing, which is like high fantasy. Um, the series is called, I think, the Dragon Prince series, and it's a two part series. So I think it's Dragon Prince and Dragon Scroll are, mm, are the okay. two three book th- series um, where she wrote these really like detailed wonderful like vibrant worlds that really were based off of these people's like interpersonal like conflicts and sort of romance and um sort of she was very like a very dark writer it wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. the romance i would seek out in my life but my wife often says because she read these books like on my prodding many many years ago and i think i read them like my first read through like i think i started it in like seventh eighth grade so like many years ago Mm -hmm. um but uh, uh, my wife to this day is just like, if I ever I want to understand like why you are the way you are in romance and in love and all that, like I just read these books. And I'm like, yeah, you're just like copying these characters. So. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? Like there's I, I definitely feel like I was very much formed by what I read between 12 and 15. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, the books I read then played a very large role in what I I look for in, in books now, um, even to this day, uh, as, a, as an adult human being with her own mind and conscious uh, decision-making skills to a certain extent. Um, not podcast. always good. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, it's also the most embarrassing thing about me. So there is also that. <laughs> That can't be. That can't be right. Um, <laughs> oh, it's totally honest, true. There's there is nothing more humiliating than standing there in the bookshop and and Allie reaching over to grab one of the Kingdom of Earth stickers off of the the desk, and as someone is like purchasing a romance novel right in front of my own human face, going, "You know what? You should listen to if you like romance novels. This podcast. You know why? <laughs> it's hers." And me just like, "Thank 
fuck for for <laughs> wearing masks right now because I don't blush often, but when I do, it's like a, it is bad. It's like a chemical reaction that I should go to the hospital for. Like, it's bad. And I'm just standing there and, like, sweating behind my mask because this person's like, oh, oh, really? You have a podcast? And I'm just like, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Well, you see, like, uh, you know, in popular culture, like, you know, there's all sorts of skits and stand-up comedy acts about, like, Everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's got a podcast. got a podcast. And I think, like, to a certain extent, like, everybody has a podcast. Everybody or at least everybody has a podcast in them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, that is true, I, whether it's good or not. Yeah, whether it's good or not. But what I was going to say is, like, you have one of the good ones. So, I mean. God, I hope could, so. Could be, I hope so. Could be worse. I mean, we're passing benchmarks left and right. You know, we've, we've lasted almost a year at this point, which is way more than most podcasts last in the the vast majority of them we've also passed the average number of listeners that most podcasts have um dope as hell love that um but like at the same time i still have a pod i still have a podcast (laughs) and that's like that's rough that's rough that's rough on everyone around me like listen i live with a streamer and like i'm a podcaster and my V, my, you know, my, my third roommate, poor long suffering V is like, it's the most humiliating household. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do want to circle back around because when you say things like, um, I was really like formed by the books that I read, that is a perfect segue to what we're talking about today, because we're talking about dystopian romance. And I, when I came up, right, it was in the heyday of dystopian romance in YA in particular. And I got to thinking about it and I was like, I've been seeing a lot. Like I, I, I was immune to it. I just didn't notice how much dystopian romance I see every day advertised. Um, until I was like, I was thinking about it the other night and I was like, Hey, is that weird? <laughs> is, that, is that weird? Is that weird that there's so much? Um, and I don't know. I don't know if we'll be able to answer that question, but you know, I mean, how I, do you feel I, about dystopian romance? I Have you ever read any? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you're right. It's a, it's a robust genre. I mean, like yeah. the very, very easy ones are like the Hunger Games series, right? That was mm-hmm. huge in YA. Um, and like to say that there weren't like romantic like elements in it. I mean, I, I would say like this big love triangle that they've teased out for three books in the series. Um, I also, I'm thinking of uh, like Red Rising. It's not quite dystopian, but I like to think that a, a world that's as ordered and and segmented and, and where there's like such a big gap in the haves and the have nots. Um, yeah. Like, um, uh, there's, you know, there's a big need for distributive justice in that sort of context. I think that that's yeah. dystopian and, and you usually... Yeah. You usually do see um, romantic elements there. And, and like, here's my thought on it. I mean, like, obviously, I'm not like an expert in this, but my thought. <laughs> Neither am I. I've got a podcast. Yeah, fair, fair. And that makes you an expert in anything you want to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was going to say, I think the reason that there is um, a lot of romance centered on this concept is like, Look, in the worst of times, like we seek out like the most human elements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I, I mean, I love like Emily St. John Mendel's um, Station yeah. Eleven, right? Love, mm-hmm. love that book. And what I would say is in that context, 
it was a dystopia without a huge emphasis on romance and like i i that was like my favorite book that year i mean only saint john that was yeah. brilliant right but um but i you know the absence of a romantic element is stark and i think it helps yeah. like like paint the picture of how bad things mm-hmm. you know really mm-hmm. really were and not to say that there wasn't like sort of like you know teased romantic elements but it, it wasn't a main focus like it is in, yeah like a lot of ya um but uh romance in those contexts like centers us and it's like hey look as bad as things are we're still human beings we're still we still seek and crave romantic relationships and interpersonal connection and that all makes sense to me i, I don't think it's weird at all yeah i so i was looking into it and i was reading several articles about um you know, the genre as a whole and its popularity and why it endures. And, and of course, like, I think it's easy to be like, oh, we like dystopia because right now everything sucks. And it's like, we like, I, to a certain extent, I agree with that because I think there, for me personally, particularly in the world we are in at this moment right now on uh, August 15th in the year of our Lord 2021, <laughs> um, shit is is bad a lot of it some of it's good a lot of it not and it can feel sometimes more of a stretch of the imagination to read a super saccharine contemporary romance uh than it does to read uh an outer space dystopian like soulmate like faded mates novel right um and and i you know do I think that that's the whole reason why it's popular? Not at all. But I think that the, there are two very distinct places that are occupied by dystopian fiction and then underneath that, uh, dystopian romance. Dystopian fiction is like, I'm going to get into a definition in a second, but it is by and large extremely bleak, right? It very rarely has like an absolute happy ending like or a resolution even. A lot of times that is a very bittersweet, if not wholly tragic ending. Um, and I, that does carry over to dystopian romance, but dystopian romance, as you were saying, more often than not has a really solid core of hope and of tenderness in juxtaposed against this really the worst of situations the worst of worlds and it it, so it makes it seem even softer to a certain extent and of course if it's romance novel it has to have the happy ending so there is that difference um but i was like i was like yeah i mean but also why do we like it so much if if our world is so bleak out there right why why do we want to read about stuff that's worse Um, and, and so I, I was looking into that and I, obviously there's no good answer. Um, there's, there's a dozen answers and all of them are about equal in terms of value and probably are true for one person and then totally not true for another person. Right. Um, just like with any other genre. So to define what dystopian fiction is, uh, stories that revolve around a core of deceit, trauma, greed, and or survival. Usually some indeterminate time in the future or an alternate reality where the world as we know it is quote-unquote destroyed and life has become much, much harder, sometimes paired with utopian elements, particularly in sci-fi. Um, widely cited, the beginning of the genre being 1984 uh, by Orwell. Um, and, and, you know, that this a lot of times comes in hand in hand with like 
criticisms of big government and uh, xenophobia and like these really big overarching like uh villains that we get like the or you know corporate greed right um a la ooh, jupiter ascending oh yeah jupiter ascending is a good uh as all things do go back to jupiter ascending uh <laughs> you know the, the entire point of that movie is how big and soulless corporations are and how they'll literally strip an entire planet of life just so that one person can take a bath to like become young again uh which is like not the most subtle of metaphors but it's fine um, <laughs> sometimes it's good to get hit over the head i mean not all i mean if it's always, jupiter but... ascending yeah. i'm down with whatever they want i mean correct me if i'm wrong but didn't they have like like flying rollerblades in jupiter ascending one of these days i'm going to have to do an actual episode on jupiter ascending i'm obsessed with that back film. for that one <laughs> i know everything about that film i've read the script of that film wow. I've, I've i saw it in theaters and i was so stunned by that movie that i ha- i like went home and stayed up to like 4 a.m reading everything i possibly could about it um Yes, they did have space heelys. Yes, Channing Tatum is an albino wolf splice um, and with wings that are cut off and those heelys. Uh, Mila Kunis has no value as a character, except that her DNA is the same as somebody who died a long time ago. Well, her mo- her molecules are the exact, like in the exact yeah, order, right? Yeah, sorry. She's a recurrence. Um, there's there's mi- mouse people. Um, there's, a, there's a crow man. There's like there's so much happening at all times, all over the place. Some there's pseudo incest. There's kind of real incest. They're like there's there's a lot. There's hot dino people. I don't care what anybody else says. They do not look like Goombas. Um, they really I, they really didn't look like Goombas because like I don't know. Thank you. Like, thank like you. I don't know if as a child you watched the Super Mario Brothers movie. I would never. I'm not a nerd. Okay, so when I was a child, the Super Mario Brothers movie was very popular, right? It was like it came out and like everybody watched it. It wasn't just me. Um, yeah. And uh, it, maybe I'm a nerd. Like maybe it's that too. You are. I, you are. I, no, I, I know. I don't know. But <laughs> can't confirm. But uh, what I'll say is uh, those Goombas haunted my nightmares for many. Yeah, years. they're fucking terrifying. And it wasn't until like law school that like I saw a human being that like looked like one of the goombas and i was like oh i I see there is a human aspect to them and i just like i just went with it (laughs) yeah i mean the tiny heads are a lot and listen they the dinosaur men don't look like that their heads are maybe a little small but not like goomba small and they got dope ass biker jackets and they got great voices long prehensile tails baby and Big ol' fangs. And that there's nothing about that you girl don't like. You, you lost me at long prehensile tails. Many uses. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Many and various uses, my friend. <laughs> uh, I've, I, I've been thoroughly corrupted by just the deepest, darkest corners of the romance novel genre. Oh, I'm anyway. Sure. I'm sure. Um. So I was I was reading some some articles in in one of them in the New Yorker, which was like one of the better ones. There's a lot of weirdly judgy articles about dystopian stuff, not even dystopian romance, just dystopian fiction, which is wild to me because I think it's such a bro genre. I would think that people would be kind of like more sympathetic to it on the whole. Really? Um, you, as opposed- you find it to be a, a bro genre? 
Yeah, because it's kind of just like, yeah, like like 1984, right? Like every fucking pseudo-intellectual is like, thinks they, they know what's up because they read 1984 when they were 13, right? Um, well, wasn't it like assigned reading? Like, didn't you have to read it in high school? That doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but if you like, I had to, I didn't have to read it in high school. I read Brave New World, which I really loved yeah, when I was, was when I was 13. Um that's <laughs> a weird book and then i read animal farm but uh no i didn't read 1984 until i was an adult and it's just it's i think i've always associated like dystopian like hardcore dystopian stuff with um the kind of like i don't know like a the, the the bro, the bro corner, the bro corner, where like the dudes are like, yeah, the world is gonna, this is, this is the world. The the people who really like Vonnegut and the people who really like Philip K. Dick. There we go. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I would agree that the people who like Philip K. Dick really fall within that sort of very like the, the culture that you're representing. I think that that's right. I think Vonnegut speaks international i i i will I, i'm not I'm, this isn't i'm not, a, I'm not blaming not vonnegut attacking vonnegut on your podcast is, uh, i'm not attacking so, vonnegut i'm, I'm attacking i'm attacking the kind of men specifically who think they, they can define their personalities by how much vonnegut they've read no just like the God. people who who define themselves by how much bukowski they've read yeah okay so i i'm i'm, I'm starting to understand that the person you're describing i i appreciate the clarification it's not flattering it's not no but it's I think, not flattering it's it's interesting though because usually those genres typically like they get maybe a little bit skewered, um, but like generally they're they're very widely accepted as being like, you know, a higher level of fiction. Um, but I I also see how because a lot of dystopian stuff is lo- looted rooted in um, sci-fi and yeah. fantasy. I, maybe that's kind of where it kind of goes off the rails for the mainstream. Um, I mean, arguably. Dune, one of the one of the seminal pieces yeah. of sci-fi literature. I mean, like, I think that it is fair to say that that represents, or at least the the portion of the world that we were examining represents a dystopian sort of future. Mm-hmm. It's one where like the 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 like the big bad really there was like the yeah. end of human civilization, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that was, I would I would say that that's a dystopian novel, and I would yeah. I, I take less issue with people who define themselves by having read Dune. Like that's fine. <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's okay. okay. Those people are great. Oh, God, I've hold, I've sold so many copies of Dune in the past like six weeks. Um, those books are really thick. They take up a lot of room on the shelf. Please. Oh, uh, I mean, if you're somebody like me who has like multiple copies of, so so I'll tell you, I had a I had a a, a history teacher. Um, mm-hmm. By the name of Henry Neff, who actually is like he quit being a history teacher. He's now a a, a fantasy author, um, a fairly well regarded one, uh, who wrote uh, his first series was the Tapestry series, so like the Hound of Rowan and all that, and um, really fantastic books. It it straddles the young adult and like 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 pure like fantasy like adult fantasy genres, um, mm-hmm. um, and like I, I'm like not trying to take us off track. But it, mm. it, it also is in the podcast doesn't have a track. It's well, that's fair. But it is also like a dystopian piece because it centers on sort of an end of a world event um, that's rooted in um, rooted in Irish mythology. Mm, cool, right? Very, very cool. Um, you know, has Harry Potter 
like sort of elements and i hate using harry potter as like like the defining thing because as if it is what it is it is what it is it was part of such an integral part of a generation there's kind of no escaping it even if you fucking hate jk Rowling. i don't even i don't well i mean like I, let's not even get into that on your yeah. podcast yeah but, but but uh no i mean i'm i'm also like of the generation where like i read wizard academy before harry yeah. potter was ever out and so like for me when harry potter came out, i was like oh yeah cool another book about like wizarding school like ex- how exciting um and really enjoyed the harry potter books uh, yeah and all that but um but it has sort of an element of that because it you know it takes place at least at first within a school of magic and then sort of devolves from there into this dystopian world where like demons are 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 like reign supreme and like enslave humanity and it's like very cool very 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 cool um but um this guy henry neff he's the one who handed me doom uh when i was 14 years old and um still trying to find myself in a very real way and and like that sort of disto like like i would say like that shaped a lot of who i was coming into college and who i like like it gave me a lot of thoughts about like like um, ecological conservation and and stuff mm-hmm. like that that i mean informed like how i studied and what i studied and like what i ultimately ended up doing so yeah yeah dystopia i mean like the threat of dystopia in in uh novels i think can impel people to action in a way that like you know casual like fiction maybe doesn't in this yeah way. Yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, what I one thing I kind of came to after reading all these articles was that I think in a lot of ways, although the drama of a dystopian fiction is like is is high, right? There was a certain level of bare honesty in in dystopian fiction that you don't find in a lot of other genres. It is it is an unflinchingly honest look at this is the worst we can do. This is the worst I can think of like hand handmaid's tale right like that's the worst nightmare i personally can imagine uh and uh, sh- short of the world also like burning to the ground right like i and it's it's hard to to consume that but also i think in a lot of ways it's it's this kind of i how did i phrase it i, I came up with like my own definition um the appeal of dystopian literature seems to be its ability to be one step removed from absolute honesty, a release valve for the societal fear every generation carries. Um, it is it is both outsized, it's huge, it's dramatic, it's unrealistic at the same time that it is absolutely honest. Um, so it has this veneer of like one step away from being like just too grim to consume because of its shiny like... Oh, we're, at, we're in outer space uh, disguise or something like that, right? But in doing that, in still being that unflinching look at humanity and the destruction we are capable of to ourselves and to our planet and to anywhere else, right? Um, it it acts as a sort of, like you said, it can be a call to action, but it can also just be a pressure release valve of like, God, I'm living in 2021, <laughs> everything's bad um the world is burning i wake up and i smell ash in the air and people are dying because they're sick and uh you know like it's just the news is grim from soup to nuts uh it can be 
in some ways very cathartic to pick up a book where things are worse. I I totally see that. I I I would say for me it's less about the catharsis of like like comparative like relative mm-hmm. shittiness, right? Yeah. And more about like finding a safe space to interact with my feelings about like the present. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And, yeah. and and books for me have always I mean like as you so eloquently pointed out earlier, I'm I'm a fucking nerd. And yeah. so like for me books have always been my safe space and so yeah. yeah i mean when i'll tell you like i have a few people who like hate me right now because i recommended station 11 at the start of the pandemic I was like yeah let's like let's yeah. all interact with this book um because yeah. for me it was like a safe space to do so and then i i got like hate mail just like hey excuse me never recommended a book to me ever again uh it was lovely but also we hate you <laughs> um, yeah I did the same thing. I read, so one thing, one book I wanted to talk about in this episode, I think I mentioned it before, is uh, The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. She wrote one of my favorite books of all time, Lost Boy. And um, it is ostensibly a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. What it really is, is a story of a airborne respiratory pandemic uh, where everyone goes crazy and does stupid shit, like buys up all the water and like toilet paper. And, um, this, the, and we get, when we dive in, the world has just basically been utterly destroyed. Um, and it's like, it's like six months in and everyone is like, most people are dead. Everything else is devolved into like militant factions. The government has fallen. No one knows why. Um, and this one young woman who is a paraplegic or um, sorry, no, not paraplegic. She she's uh, an amputee. She she has a prosthetic leg and she is a survivalist, hardcore young woman who has always been prepared to just take on the world if she needs to. She is trying to walk to her grandmother's house because she believes that her grandmother is probably still alive, even though the rest of her family at this point is mysteriously missing. And you don't find out until like, you know, the end of the book, like how, what happened to her parents and then what happened to her brother who was with her at the start of her journey. Um, Turns out there are actual monsters involved. (laughs) Which you wow. don't kind of, you don't think there is because like, you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's people. Peoples is monsters because like she's black and like she encounters a bunch of fucking racists who, who, you know, militiamen who are just abducting women off the street. And she encounters like uh, territorial, like scavengers and all this stuff. Um, and you think like, okay, that's the metaphor for the wolf, right? Um, no, there's an actual, there's an actual monster involved um, and it is t- fucking terrifying and it's at like the very end and you're like fuck but i read that at the start of the pandemic and i didn't know it was a i didn't know it was a pandemic book like i just i was like oh i've just had this on my my shelf for a while i'll just read it and i was like there was this one line in the very beginning uh where she talks about people buying up all the water and all the toilet paper and she's like why do you think that that's what you'll need when everyone's dying of an illness and it was like oh no (laughs) oh no (laughs) um and it and it was both for me like cathartic to read it and be like well at least it's not this yet um could be worse there's not like piles of bodies in the streets um left to rot because there's no one left to bury them um but also ouch (laughs) 
is ouch is ouchy for me um yeah i can imagine i mean i don't know if i could have handled that at the beginning of the pandemic because it was like week three of lockdown like it was early people were i mean like people people went a little nuts people were bar- yeah. buying you know up everything that they frankly didn't need and yeah. um there was like a week there where we were just like, are we going to have toilet paper? Like, is everything going to be okay? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, luckily I, I sort of, uh, uh, we have Costco nearby. So it was like, at the end of the day, we were, we were okay. Thanks to Costco. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. It, I, I just, I, I understand why it's for some people it would have been too close to home. Like just, I need to escape. I cannot read about a fictional world where i'm dealing with the same problems but i love that it was couched in in a fairy tale like i yeah. love i love so like this is what i'm saying about creating space safe spaces within the dystopian yeah. like like context right it's mm-hmm. if you tell the story of a dystopia through the lens of something that we've been interacting with as like like since we were children right little red yeah. Red, like it's scary but we kind of know like at the end of the like at the end like like you know, grandma's a wolf, but the huntsman comes and like takes care of the problem, right? We know like at the end, it's going to be scary up until a point and then it's going to be okay. And so that safe space lets us get through the novel. And then sometimes authors will flip the script on us, right? And be like, everything's bleak. And those are the endings that, I mean, I haven't read this book. I wish you had recommended it to me because I I would have read it at some point during the the pandemic. I did. I felt. I. I felt touchy about recommending it to anyone because I was like, I don't. Uh, I. I even feel touchy about recommending it now. I have it in the shop, and I'm like, it's a good book, but it's all. It is. It is about a. It is about a plague that also we also have. So that's <laughs> tough. I mean, I think a lot of authors are are spending this time trying to interact with what has just happened. Right. Yeah. I mean, even Emily St. John Mandel, who we mentioned earlier um, yeah. in the podcast, I mean, her her book right now is like like teased as a reflection on 2020. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious to see where that takes us. But I think, again, it's human. Like we're all interacting yeah. with this one way or another. And, you know, a lot of artists are, you know, I, I think a lot of people are returning to art as a means of coping. Well, and it's it's funny because I, you know, I was reflecting on it and I was reflecting on how much dystopian literature I'd read and the wave of dystopian romance in YA that crested in what, like, I think I would say when the Hunger Game movies came out, that was the, that's, by the time those movies came out, that was the end, right? If you're thinking about, like, the time frame of when these books begin to be released and when they uh, gain popularity and then by the time they get a movie deal and then by the time the movies are made and then released, we're actually seeing kind of the the tallest the wave becomes before it comes back down. Um, what was the one – what was the one – so I'm, I'm so sorry. What was the, like, series where um, they were, like – they were separated into groups of, like, brave and – Divergent. 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 I, yeah. I would say divergent – those movies ended that, yeah. that like that's what cut the wave off that was like the rocks that the waves hit yeah. to just be like nope you're done like yep no, it's over yeah take yeah, that those, Shalane Woodley like I I read take. I read the first book and I got so weirded out by the fact that he's like in his mid-20s and she's like 16 
And I don't like I ugh, I didn't. And she's like at one point sexually assaulted. Like it's it's not by him, but by by a different character. And it's just I don't know. Those books were strange. The messaging there, I not sure I ever understood. But I will say, so I was reading all these articles, right? And I the the one from the New York Times that was good. Uh, there's a couple from different ones that were that were good. But I found one real stinker when I was looking specifically into YA, um, dystopian in YA literature. And uh, that is not a sentence that made sense. Young adult dystopian literature. There we go. We got there. Um, And I pulled this quote that like, I want to say, this is an article from The Artifice. Um, it, it It started out okay. And then I like got like a couple of pages in. And it, the, this person took a hard left on what they think the entirety of dystopian literature is, and they've, it's wild. Okay. Uh, this is them explaining why teens relate to YA, okay? Or relate to dystopian literature. Um, this gives reassurance to the reader who is at a similar age to the protagonist in the story. They admire how the author shows the protagonist's insecurities and concerns, such as their love interests and body image. The reader, especially in young adult dystopian literature, can take themselves to an alternate universe in which the character lives and feel like they are in the story. This concept makes it easy for them to relate to the protagonist. I think you're just describing all fiction? Yeah. I don't like, think that. Did you know that, that like, when you read, you can imagine? Like, where's LeVar Burton to be like, hey, like, take a look. It's in a book, Reading Rainbow. Like, obviously, yes. It's, it's a movie in your head. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that you can you relate can go to anywhere. it? Right. Um, and then they went on to claim that every piece of dystopian literature in YA is a metaphor for high school. Including the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is only a metaphor for high school. With, like, the government who's killing children being the, the like, cool kids at high, in the high school. And, like, the, the, the rebels being, like, the outcasts in high school. And I was like, did you miss the part where two whole-ass books are about the brutality of war and how no one wins in war? Did you miss that? Did you miss that? I can understand why, like, an adult critic maybe, like, read the first couple paragraphs and was like, ugh, it's about high school. And just, like, kept yeah. that opinion for, for three uh-huh. books. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, Out of control. I, just I can see, I, like, a parallel, I guess. But, like, I don't know. That's not, like, that, that wasn't my high school experience. Like, like I didn't I can, feel like. I can see, like, the shallowest understanding of, yes. Uh, yeah. To- okay. Okay. Just, like, m- most things could probably be a metaphor for you know not fitting in in high school um but like the the books are so profoundly brutal like i don't i i'm like i don't think i don't i don't think they might have might have read it i don't i don't think they might have read it uh but that's that's fine that's fine it just i i was just looking for like articles right and i stumbled upon that one and i was just so blown away by like all of the hot takes coming left and right and then just the description of how fiction feels when you read it and i was like okay i gotta mention it i gotta mention it. no no i i appreciate it i'm a big fan of silly silly reviews like um one of my very favorite reviews and i will like go back and read it like on its own and i've never seen this movie um but did you ever hear the movie water the water diviner no with like russell crowe and like his whole like he's like looking for water 
whatever. I, I've never watched All the right. movie. It doesn't matter. The review, though, is just like, like, uh, so Russell Crowe acted in and directed this movie. And the review is basically like, like, like the story and directing uh, by Russell Crowe is saved by a stellar performance by Russell Crowe. <laughs> and it's just like... Oh, that's brutal! <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> oh my god, that's so brutal! I just love catty reviews. It's like one of my that's favorite so things. I, I That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, love, I love a review that's just like, whatever, it's just high school. Like, yeah, um, sure, yeah. okay. Why yeah, not? I mean, so is so is anything. Yeah. Just, it's just high school. Yeah. Um, but I did want to get to some of I, – I haven't read a lot of uh, dystopian stuff recently, but I have some favorites, um, particularly – obviously, they're going to be romance-heavy, except for The Girl in Red. There's no romance in that. I kept expecting a little bit of romance in there, but there wasn't. It's, it's fine. It's fine. She had other things to be concerned about. It's fine. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. <laughs> yeah, she had, she had a lot to deal with. Um, but – uh, I've talked about it before on the podcast. The author, Laura Thalassa, she wrote the Four Horsemen series. That is 100% fantasy dystopian. The world is just gone to shit and uh, planes have dropped out of the sky and a plague has ravaged the world and the angels of, you know, the Four Horsemen or whatever the hell have come up one by one and they're just doing crazy shit until they fall in love and then they decide they don't want to do it anymore. That's pretty much the plot of each book. Fantastic. Very good. Absolutely brutally dark. So fucking dark. The first one opens up with our heroine shooting the hero, by which I mean uh, you know, the, the god of or not the god, um Pestilence. She shoots Pestilence, her love interest, in the face and then sets him on fire while he's still alive. Oh it's a lot. They end up, it's fine. They, they work it out. Um, after he then ties her up and drags her behind his horse for a mile or so. It's great. It's very good. Um, but she also has another series called, well, the first one is called Queen of All That Dies, which is a legit, like, I would say near future Um uh dystopian it's it's basically like uh the world has been ravaged by just endless endless war um and like nuclear war just the most brutal kind of war all over the place everything's fucked um and in this chaos this one this one man has decided he's going to rule the entire world and he has almost entirely succeeded he has marshaled an army he has taken over the world except for this one little like enclave basically what's left of the united states and um he is rumored to be immortal um he he no one really knows what's up with him no one lets him close but like he has like Around him, the world is kind of normal-ish because, like, things are kind of going back. He's, like, stabilizing things. And the rest of the world, shit's still super fucked. Um, everything's irradiated. Everything's terrible. Um, but the last of the people who are uh, not under his rule, they know that they're just going to be obliterated if they don't. If, if, if they don't just give up. If they don't. But they... So they try and um, uh, strike a deal with this man. And in doing so... Uh, he takes notice of the general's daughter, who is a hardcore soldier herself. And he decides, yeah, it's mine. I like that one. That one's mine. Um, and she fucking hates this guy, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and it's it's a very dark, but uh, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a great series. Like the series is so 
so brutal. But they, she, she ends up basically like, it's just like crazy political machinations of like, she is representing the people who didn't give up, but she is forced into marrying him. But then her people decide that like, they can't accept that she's doing that. So like, they like try and kidnap her and like she becomes a symbol even though she like actually wants to be with him but also like can't and then she has like cancer because she's like irradiated and like it's there's a lot of moving parts there's so much happening and it's just laura thalassa is really good at just punching you right in the face um it's like it's just it's it's very good that's what i want out of Um, my books a swift punch to the face A, you know that you'll get a lot of it in in uh, in dystopian romance. There's a lot of punching in the face. It's a lot of tears. Um, I already mentioned the girl in red. I already mentioned Brave New World and Hunger Games. As always, I've done a whole last. Well, I have done like a whole episode on it, but I've basically done it. The Fireblood Dragon series by Ruby Dixon. Abigail's fave, as we know. Um, that is definitely dystopian. It is technically sci-fi um which i did not know for a lot of the series until i got a hint and i was like oh they're they're aliens um okay but they're giant ass dragons who the moment they they accidentally came through this like rift in space time uh got dumped on to earth and they something in like the atmosphere and like earth's magnetic field made them go fucking insane and then they just destroyed everything um so when we start the series it is about 10 years ish um after dragons have destroyed everything and humans are living in like these tiny little settlements just trying to stay alive is like indestructible fire-breathing plane-sized dragons fly overhead um and it turns out the way to tame a dragon is to bone down with that dragon that's easy that is that is a a an oddly common theme in, in fantasy. It's weird, right? It's weird how, how often that, that happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if dragons were real, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I, yeah. There's, I'm just I saying. I never say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Also, like, the, there is the idea of, like, the innocent maiden being the, the real one with the power because she now has this, like, super formidable dragon at her behest. Uh, Because he's utterly devoted to her, you know. There's like that's a very common, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I I remember being younger and reading, and I feel so bad because I can't like give any attribution, but like a retelling of like Saint, the story of Saint George and the dragon with the maiden, Mm -hmm. and it was just like I I remember it being like so interesting because it was sort of that where the maiden, whether it was like Stockholm syndrome or whatever, was basically like, why are you messing with this dragon, right? Yeah. It was kind of had sort of like a like a Grendel esque feel to the book, and it's, yeah. it's been so many years. I just don't even remember what. Wow. But really, really, really enjoyed it. Should have come prepared I've... for every eventuality. Well, next time I say, "Hey, what's the theme?" and you're like, "Nah, I'm not telling you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're not making a list of every book you've ever read I'll, and coming into it with that, then I don't. I, there's no way to prepare you. Oh man, um, my I I feel like. I was looking at my bookshelf the other day, which is the books that we've kept, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, what is my daughter going to get exposed to? Like, what are these books? And I I was just looking at it and I felt, I started to feel embarrassed. You know what I mean? It's like, this is my own personal podcast, right? It's just like my, my, like my den of shame, all these books that I've kept and really love and all that. And I was like, my daughter, if she reads these is also going to be a nerd and she's just doomed. There's no getting around. Listen, listen, buddy. As long as you're not 
the parent who insisted on buying V.C. Andrews flowers in the attic for her 12-year-old daughter for her to find as long as you're not that (laughs) you're probably doing okay I have nothing there's nothing wrong with reading messed up stuff okay I want to I want to be out there and say that like whatever it's fiction I've talked about this before like what you enjoy reading has almost no bearing on uh you as a person okay okay that is why I also have a problem with people who strictly define themselves with pretentious shit they've read. It means nothing. Get out of here. However, that is quite something. There's one thing to have a, a like you're a, a person, a young person, be like, I want to read X. And it's quite another thing to have a parent be like, I want my daughter to read X, but I don't want her to know that I bought it for her. So I'm going to hide it and then let her find it and pretend like I don't know she's reading it and I'm like that is the the she wanted to like recreate her experience Mm -hmm. as a kid finding her mother's copy it was this whack and I do you you know what flowers in the attic is yes I mean like it's been years but I know I have it I know the general storyline yes a lot of a lot of messed up stuff in that book, let's just say. A lot of messed up stuff. Um, but uh, I, it was just, like, as long as you're you're not doing that or, or hey, forcing your child to read Clan of the Cave Bear and being like, isn't this a great historical novel? Oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's okay if, if Raya turns out to be a nerd. I, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we'll see. I'm already we're already sort of uh, uh, toying with getting her like her like little baby Dungeons and Dragons set. We'll just like just run through some scenarios. We'll oh, it. actually, I do draw the line there. I that, don't think that's that, okay. you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. No. Nah. No tabletop games. No. 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 no, no. That's child abuse. <laughs> hey, man, we need a third, right? We need somebody to play with us, and like oh, we God. like built our own. Oh God, I I. <sighs> Fred tried to to get me and V to play with him at the beginning of the pandemic, and we got we got we did we did it twice, and we all determined that we are not like good at it I, together. And I I, would, I don't know. I would think that you'd be good at. It. I mean, you 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 have a good imagination. You're you know you can get yeah. into a story. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, but I'm also like a control freak and. <laughs> And also, my thing is like I don't I've I've talked about this on the podcast. I don't care about it if it doesn't have romance in it. So unless the entire focus of the campaign is me seducing somebody or my character seducing somebody, I don't care. That could be the entire focus of the campaign. It'd be weird though. It would be weird for everyone else, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean you could I mean like you could build a character and like just like max out charisma and just the yeah. entire thing is you just convincing bad guys like, hey, don't be a bad guy. Like, like join me and like try to seduce the bad guy. People do that stuff all the time. It does That's get true. weird. I'm not saying it doesn't get weird. I'm it just, gets weird. I'm gets just weird. saying that I'm... like people do it. Yeah. No judges. I, I know there's a bunch of fucking nerds listening to this podcast who all love to play d and I, I, I hear y'all, but Discord <laughs> is constantly full of nerd shit. Yeah. Uh, and they're all just like, Abigail, what are you talking about? Listen, y'all, don't. Um, <laughs> you you know, you know who you are. Uh, yeah, but I, I I don't know. This this has just been an interesting reflection on, I think, where we're at 
at the moment. But also, I do want to say, I I, um, I want to mention that uh, when I was looking into this, I found 10,000 hits for dystopian romance. Uh, wow. And... And, and I, that's probably a conservative, uh, like, average, too. There's probably a lot more than that in the darker corners of the web. A lot of those books, a lot of them are either alien-ish, sci-fi, uh, dystopian, or they are ABO-focused. ABO? Damn it, Saba. I was really hoping you would know so I wouldn't have to explain it. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not familiar. <laughs> ABO, I could Google it real quick if you'd like. I, I, we can, we can cut that in, in edit. No, it's fine. I, I, no, this is content. It's fine. I set myself up for this. I knew I was going to have to. Okay. So I've talked about it before, particularly in the shifters episode, I gave a very light rundown, but ABO is uh, alpha beta omega dynamics. And that is something that evolved out of werewolf fan fiction, um, which is to say uh, certain attributes for, for what people popular uh attributes for what people believe wolves have uh given to people so like acute sense of smell reaction to pheromones uh being born a certain designation um either like being born an alpha a beta or an omega and that kind of defining your place in society and a lot of times this is intimately linked to sexuality so an alpha will like a dominant breed omegas who are designed to be like sexually voracious when they are in their heat um and it's a lot of stuff going on there and there's like and there's still people they don't otherwise are not you know they don't have like furred ears or get claws a lot of the times they're just like people with these designations with this layered on top of a society um and a lot of times there's a lot of sex in these books there's a lot of Dubcon in these books because like can you really consent if you're being overpowered by hormones i don't know i don't know about that and that is a lot of times why a lot of these books that are abo and dystopian on top of that in a world where like shit is really grim and like women are being traded around like commodities and stuff on top of having like oh you're an omega okay now you belong to that alpha over there you don't get a choice um a lot of these books are tagged as dark romance because of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Go off, do whatever you like. But, you know, that is a, that is a subset. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating subculture. It evolved from, this is debated, but a lot of people agree that it was, it was evolved from queer fan fiction um, and then was kind of co-opted by hetero uh, cis romance authors. Right, spoke who, to that group who, yeah. Yeah, and then and then completely eradicated queer people from a lot of the fiction uh, that they wrote. It's so funny because um, the what you're describing the the most recent book I read that falls anywhere near that category is The Power. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Dystopian, yeah. and there's there are plenty of scenes where you 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 sort of see the woman in that book manipulating the power, like the the power to. Um, like for sexual purposes, right? I mean, like yeah. I don't, I don't know how well you remember like the, those scenes. It's but, been, a, it's been a minute. But, it's been a minute. But yeah, I mean, like for instance, like like the power right in the book is like they have like lightning out of their hands, right? Essentially, yeah. Um, yeah. And so they, there were these like long drawn out scenes where they were essentially forcing themselves on men and like using the electricity to sort of 
maintain a sexual stamina or whatever. Yeah. And it was like, I remember reading those scenes and be like, Jesus, like, like this is clearly referencing something that I don't understand. Yeah. It's clearly turning something on its head. It's like interesting, but I'm just like, uh, I haven't really interacted with this very much. I imagine yeah. in like a different context, if I came across it, I would be put off pretty quickly and be like, meh, yeah. like it's not for me, right? And it's not, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. But in the power, I could tell they were referencing something and it sounds like what you're describing. Yeah. And it's, and it's really interesting. There's a lot of layers to it. There's a, there's a really good video essay done by Lindsay Ellis um, on the controversy of, in particular, there's a handful of authors who got very high on their hog about like they claim to have invented it and no one else can write it i own the omega verse as it's called um and they like litigation out the wazoo just utter nonsense like no you you can't that's like owning the concept of vampires it's utter bullshit um and Anne rice doesn't it's, it's, own the concept of vampires don't bring up her name on this podcast. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Anne Rice. God damn it. This is like the second podcast in a row where someone has used her name in this sacred space. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't catch that one. I've, <laughs> I've hated Anne Rice since I was like nine. Uh, so. Uh, very very uh, divisive. <laughs> I just don't snake in the grass. Uh, anyway, she also writes smut, even though she's, I don't know, it's very hypocritical. Anyway. Um, but, uh, that, all that being said, right, like it is, there's, there's a lot to this, a lot of, there's dystopian everywhere. Uh, there's, there's, if you like it, you can find it. You can find every shade of it. There's, there's like lighter, you know, there's just because the world is destroyed doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. You know, sometimes it's kind of better a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think Kat recommended me a book that was like a lighter dystopian thing. I think I have it on my shelf and I just haven't gotten to it because... I also baby. never get to the things Kat recommends me, so it's fine. Kat has recommended me some of my very favorite books of all time. And so I, I usually give Kat the benefit of a doubt and read her and mm-hmm. read and, and read her recommendations. But I just I have not gotten to it yet. It will happen. Yeah. I, I think I yeah. owe you a couple a couple reads, too. I apologize. Probably. I mean, you can count everything I've ever talked about on this podcast as recommendations. So you've got a lot to work through. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to like really narrow it down because I I think it would oh, be God. nice to read something that's pure romance, and I might I might pick yeah. your brain after this about about what to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lord knows I've read enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it. I don't know. Oh, I also did want to mention the the show The Hundred. I really, 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 really love the show The Hundred. Um, it's the first episode starts out as like ridiculous Imagine Dragons soundtrack, teen drama, stupid. It goes Lord of the Flies like territory extremely fast. Just episode two, kids start dying. Uh, I don't know if, if you've watched that show or know anything about that show, but it's fucking whack. Uh, in the first, I, I think I've watched the first three episodes and then yeah. it's like, I, no, nah, I can't. Like I, I grew up watching, um, uh, battle Royale. Yeah. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and so now I'm just like, I just can't, I just, I don't yeah. know. I, I really liked it. I really liked that I never knew what was going to happen, um, which is kind of rare when I'm watching or reading something. I always kind of feel like I have a pretty strong hint as to what's going to happen next. Um, another show that did that for me was Vikings. Um, both of those shows I really, really loved, but I also stopped watching them after like season three um, because 
they got worse and i like to cut things off while i still enjoy them so um but uh but yeah that's also a basically humanity escapes nuclear destruction on a space station for like 200 years but the space station is failing so they send a bunch of miscreant children who are probably gonna just end up being executed anyway for just being uh, unproductive members of society down to the surface of the earth to see if it's habitable and those hundred kids have to survive and find that people have actually survived on the surface this whole time and like it's wild um it's it's if you can get past the the hokiness of the first few episodes it is a brutal show um i'll i'll, I'll go back i'll give it a try yeah at one point a um a young man who's kind of like the villain of the show for the first season he is uh accused of murder and he is hung by a um, um, by a mob um or i guess he would be hanged he's hanged by a mob and uh he is almost he's almost executed by by the the other kids um only to find out that the the person who actually killed the the young man was this like eight-year-old girl who just slashed his throat um and it's like it's it's a and that's like four episodes in five like it is it is gruesome um so highly recommend but that's it i think i think that's the app i think that's a that's a wrap here so i'm gonna thank thank you for having me and talking about one of my favorite genres with me. I don't know how you knew that I would want to talk about this, but you know. I figured. I mean, we've we've talked about like like sci-fi enough and stuff. I figured you'd be you'd be interested and you'd have some 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 value to contribute here. Uh, well, that's that's where you were wrong. Value is That is true. I was yeah. horribly wrong. Yeah. You've got nothing you've got nothing to say. That's true. That's true. I, you know, uh, unlike in my normal life, I've been struck dumb with with you're just brilliance in this podcast in general. Being I, starstruck. I'm happy to be here. I get it. I get it. I am a lot. Um, my presence overwhelming. My charisma just like really uh, has a tendency to smother those around me, even virtually. I so... mean, I just like that you haven't forgotten all the little people like me. Oh, I have. I have. Oh, you have. Oh, I, okay. I take notes though, so that I can reference, and then I just forget you as soon as I'm kind of like a, like a goldfish. Like the moment I like lose eye contact with you, like you don't exist. Or I'm like Raya, actually. Uh, I have no object permanence for for the for the little folk. You know, honestly, uh, it's a happy life. Like she seems like a pretty a pretty happy baby. I feel like goldfish. I don't know if you've been watching Ted Lasso, but the, the happiest creature in nature is the goldfish. Especially the ones that live in Lake Tahoe and get huge. Yeah, that's true. Bad for everything else. That sounds like goldfish. A, a great place to end this. Is like huge goldfish, Lake Tahoe. That's the plug. That's yeah. That's it. That's, that's your plug. That's your plug. pluggables. That's I came here to plug large goldfish in Lake Tahoe. Yes. Don't throw your goldfish in Lake Tahoe, please. Don't. Don't get... throw your goldfish anywhere. Actually. That's that's Don't how we that. get giant monsters that eat little red Riding Hood characters, like in the future. Those are those are the things I worry about. Is giant goldfish monsters. I did find out disappointingly they can't get any larger than 14 inches, which is a very large wow. goldfish. But wow. I thought like I thought when they said that goldfish will just keep growing, I was like, so eventually is there a goldfish in Lake Tahoe that's like the size of a fucking sturgeon? Like that's huge. That's insane. That's massive. No, it's just 14 inches. I, I, I think that you're thinking too small because the second you said that, I was like, oh, so like it's like a magic carp and it turns into like a or like a Loch Ness monster, like mm. something fucking just absolutely absurd. No, right, exactly. No, no, no. no. that's a bummer. 
I know. I, was I mean, I don't even know why you tell me that. Like, 14 inches. I, is, I mean, like, geez, that's not even, like, you know what I mean? Like, I could, I could just pick it up out of the water with one hand. It's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. That's like the size of a human foot that washes ashore in a running shoe. I mean, yeah, because of the bloating. Yeah, I get what you're saying. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the nibbling at the ankle. Ugh. Yeah. 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 And goldfish, <laughs> that's where you have to be afraid of goldfish. That is true. I've yeah. I've swum in a in a few uh, uh, hot springs or like mm, warm springs. I'm being honest. Back in Panaka, the town my mom lived in for a summer, and also the time I was in a bombing, and also that time I was in a wedding. Um, uh, there was a warm spring up there, and they it was full of like guppies, like little freshwater little guppy babies, and they would uh if you lay there still enough for like a minute, they would all of them would swarm around you, and they're like size maybe two inches long, and they would nibble at you a lot, and you just it was getting exfoliated, and it was very nice. People pay a lot of money much. for what you're describing right now. Yeah. yeah, but also you must face the grim reality of your mortality when something like that happens because then it's just like, if I died here, they would just they would just keep nibbling, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is why I don't, this is why I avoided the pandemic sort of like getting a dog. You know what I mean? Because oh, you were afraid the dog was going to eat you? I was afraid I was going to eat the dog. Oh, hey, oh. <laughs> huh, all right, we'll have a conversation later. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. What are you going to plug? Not eating dogs, I hope. Oh, man. What else am I going to plug? Um, Besides, you know, me and my brilliance. I mean, like, like if you don't follow Abigail Kelly and you are in Kingdom of Thirst podcast, then you are in the in the wrong. That's that's my plug right there. I think this is going to be the new rule that everyone, when I say, what are you going to plug? They have to, they have to actually just plug my stuff. Oh, I think because yeah. Kat also did it. I, mean, I think that's that's just it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got some book. You got some books coming out. Hopefully, very soon. We got. Hopefully. We, we got all sorts of good stuff. I mean, honestly, like, like all I have to plug is just like, hey, like, my daughter's gonna be dope one day. Like that's, that's, my, that's my plug. <laughs> keep a, keep a lookout. She's, yeah, keep a, she's keep a lookout. Great. She's gonna be running this place very soon. Very soon. She already runs our house. Oh, yeah, the kids do that, huh? They yeah. really do. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, do follow me, Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. Everywhere else you can catch me at Kingdom Thirst. Um, or where I'm not, then whatever. I said it before, but if you want to, like, set up a fan account or group or whatever the hell in a place that I'm not, TikTok. Do you not have uh, a fan page yet? Is that something we need to get on? Well, there's a fan page on Facebook, but I don't fucking know, man. It's like, I got, like, 20 followers on there because I don't know what to do with it or use it or know how to interact with anybody or find new followers well, on Facebook, that's, frankly. that's the plan. I let's, hate, let's get those I hate 20 Zuck- people out there and, and just, just getting more people in there. I, I just, I hate Zuck Baby so much. I hate him. Uh, oh, and we I can just... we can have a whole podcast about that. I mean, I got a yeah. lot to say there. There's a lot. There's a lot happening with with old Zucky Boy, and I and I, you know, and that's that's I I I bend the knee because that's the the place we are at as a society. I kind of have to be on Facebook, but all all that. Listen, what I'm saying is, if you feel the spirit move you and you want to create a fan page and you know how to operate that and get people interested in that. Go off, fam. If you want to do a subreddit, I don't fucking know how any of that works. Go ahead. You want to start a TikTok where you take little fun sound bites of this dumb shit I say and, I don't know, dance to it in your bathroom. Go ahead. I'm here for you, babe. I love you. Go with God. I, but like, I'm, I'm way too old for any of what you just said. 
<laughs> Stop, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who are listening right now. I don't want you. No, I do, actually, I take that back. I do want you to acc- do a critical legal analysis of all of the just ridiculous claims I make in the podcast. Oh, man. Um, well, yeah. I, I, you know what? Unimpeachable. You're unimpeachable. Thank Abby. you. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, yeah, I think so. I think I, I, I can never do anything wrong or illegal. And uh, I am capable of great and terrible deeds and no one can stop me. So that's the plug right there. That's the plug. That's, that's the, put that on the mug. And also a merch store. Also a merch store. Kingdomthirst.redbubble.com. That's you. That's our, that's our plug. Yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll be on a mug very soon. All of that. Yes. That whole paragraph on a mug. It's just like it's like the nutrient slurry mug. It's just like black text, like nothing special. Yeah, it's oh, just like man. I can do nothing wrong. I can do nothing illegal. Like <laughs> I'll hear that. I'm capable yeah. of great terror. That's <laughs> right. Uh, oh man, yeah. Uh, get 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 get. I would buy get that mug for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you would. I mean, my grandpa has a nutrient slurry mug, so I, I was I was looking at those stickers, honestly. They're pretty choice. They're yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, Put them on my work laptop and just like slap it on there. Hope for the best. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. <gasps> oh, man. No, they, it, it, no one's going to know, though. Like, no one's going to know what Nutrient Slurry is. No one's read The Scorpion Mate. I I have. You know, but... what I've found in my life is that you think – you think you're making a reference that no one's gonna catch, it's gonna fly on the radar, and there's always one person there and be like, This hey, is buddy, how you I make exactly friends, Saba. This is how you make friends. You make eye contact from across the room and you both <laughs> nod and you both like make a gulping motion. And then like, you know, uh you have a new friend for life. You have a blood brother. So yeah. <laughs> I don't see the downside here. You're you're right. Who who doesn't need more friends right now during this global pandemic? Who doesn't need more people who understand the importance and inherent societal value of nutrient slurry? slurry. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Put that on the mug. All of these things should go on mugs. Every, I, one day I want to have a wardrobe that's entirely outfitted of like just shit. I say like t-shirts with just like my own quotes on them. I think that's very normal. (laughs) One one day we're going to all be at the, like a con and you're going to be like on a panel and you'll look out into the sea of people and they'll all just have t-shirts with your sayings on them. Just some like crazy shit on it. Yeah, that's fair. And they'll have to like walk into the ocean or something. <laughs> all right. Yeah, join our Discord. Links, everything, link and whatever is down below in the description. You know you know what's up. This is the end of the episode. It's been fun. I'll, I'll talk to y'all uh, next week. Probably. I, I was going to say probably. I'll, yeah, certainly I will talk to you next week. All right. Goodbye. Bye.